Hi, Father Tony. How are you? I'm doing very well. How are you, Jacqueline? I'm good. Can you please explain to me just what you do with the Fathers of Mercy, what your mission is, and where your apostolate is? Absolutely. I belong to the Fathers of Mercy, or more technically, the full title of the order is the Congregation of the Priests of Mercy. And we have a special patronage. We're under the special protection of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. Our order was founded in 1808 in France in those post-revolutionary days to re-evangelize France. And so there was great work that was done in, those, in the early part of the, uh, the 19th century by our order and other religious communities as well that, that uh, were founded at that time. But Father Jean-Baptiste Rozon, our founder, specifically founded our community to travel and preach parish missions which are, for, the, for our modern-day era, usually four- to five-day parish retreats. But in the early 19th century, it would have been uh, a parish retreat that might have lasted a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months, depending on the size of the town. But it, ultimately, what it really, the emphasis was homeland evangelization and renewing people's love for God and their knowledge that God really does love them and... With the Fathers of Mercy, then, that emphasis on the mercy of God and God's love in action. And so fast forward 200 years to the early 21st century. Today, our order still travels around the United States, uh, Canada. Uh, we've gone to India on a very limited basis and some uh, Central American countries and also Australia. And we've given those five-day parish missions and retreats, and also weekend retreats. And some of our priests also work in parishes on a, a smaller scale, a smaller number of our priests. But uh, there are still, we, we do run some parishes uh, here in uh, Kentucky, where we are headquartered. And so that's our, our main work, is that, that homeland evangelization, really bringing the knowledge of God's mercy to people. Great. That sounds wonderful. Well, Considering you are a father of mercy and your apostolate is centered on mercy, can you explain to me what the year of mercy is? Yes. The year of mercy, this uh, extraordinary jubilee year of mercy, was declared by our Holy Father, Pope Francis, in uh, 2015, and earlier, just after Easter, actually, in 2015, with the intention of emphasizing what mercy is, and as a result, I think as we've, as we looked ahead last year, we looked ahead to the year of mercy, and then it's beginning, it began on the 8th of December of 2015, which is the Feast of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception, and also that particular date, December 8th, 2015, was the 50th anniversary of the closing of the Second Vatican Council. And so the Holy Father wanted to emphasize mercy, but he also wanted to recall those graces that have been showered down upon the Church that came to us through the uh, Second Vatican Council, the beautiful documents that were uh, promulgated from that Council, and the ongoing education that continues with maybe uh, ironing out some of the confusion and maybe some of the misinterpretation of some of the Council documents and really just making sure that we really are, uh, as the members of the mystical body of Christ, being good evangelizers, 
regardless of our vocation. Making sure we're, we're bringing that, the knowledge of God's love, but then in particular with this, with this year of mercy, the knowledge of God's mercy. And so this, this extraordinary jubilee year is a, a fruit of, you could say even a fruit of Vatican II in a certain sense, but really that, that emphasis on the attribute of God's mercy and just the, to stir us up. Let's say, you know, the, it's more than, it's not just Catholic kitsch or, you know, uh, Catholic Disneyland kind of stuff. You know, like, oh, let's have a, let's have a jubilee year. <laughs> no, the Holy Father, you know, he has, he's got an, there's, there's something he's driving at here. Uh, in in this this extraordinary jubilee year, because the the jubilee years they have uh, traditionally they happen every fifty years, but from time to time there will be something extra that the like Pope John Paul II in uh, 1983 declared an extraordinary jubilee year on the 1950th anniversary of our Lord's birth. He was, he was emphasizing there the incarnation and, you know, the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This year, the Holy Father Pope Francis is again emphasizing uh, an aspect, uh, a part of God's face, if you will, because that's the, the name of the document that initiated the year of mercy, Misericordiae Voltus, the face of mercy. And the, the opening line of that document says, Jesus Christ is the face of the Father's mercy. And that's what the Holy Father wants us to have, that, that deep love of Jesus Christ, true God and true man, and how he came to put love in action for us through, through his mercy. Wonderful. Thank you for that. How do you think, since we're right now, we're, we're approaching Easter, but we're still in the season of Lent, and how do you think we can associate the season of Lent with the year of mercy? I, I think it's I think it's pretty easy uh, when you think about what the, the Lenten season is for us in um, reflecting on our on our own sinfulness, our own need for God's love, and the fact that Jesus Himself walked in the desert for forty days and and fasted, and this having this this little extra emphasis in this extraordinary jubilee year, which brings with it graces for the whole church, for, and certainly for those who are open to asking for them, it, it enhances the Lenten journey, if you let it. You know, for, for those who are uh, so inclined, you know, with, with regards to their, okay, their ordinary Lenten sacrifices. But just something as, as simple as then, too, recalling, this is the, the Jubilee Year of Mercy, and, and asking God, how might I receive your mercy better during this, this Lenten journey, where, or how might I show it, how might I receive it better? You know, and, and traditionally, this the penance that we do in sorrow for our own sins, well, with the, wrapped up in the whole concept of mercy, if, if you need to ask for mercy, it means, it means something has gone wrong, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and, and so you need to be aware of that. That mercy isn't just something, it's, it's not something that's cheap grace, you know. It's, it is freely, it's freely given, it's asked for, but you have to ask for it. And like the, the younger son in the prodigal son story, you have to come to your senses and re recognize, oh yeah, I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you, Father, you know, I'm going to go to my Father. 
we've got to come to our senses. And the whole Lenten journey in, in trying to eliminate some, some legitimate good and, and making a legitimate sacrifice for, for, and, and showing our Lord, I, I, I sacrifice this out of sorrow for my own sins, but also as a, you know, sharing in the, in the sufferings of, of your mystical body. It, it helps us to quiet down and to hear where God might be speaking to us as well. And those penances can aid us in that. And so to quiet down and listen for where is God calling us in this year of mercy. I think that's where the two blend to, you know, why, why mercy, it's, it's an appropriate theme during this Lenten season. Right. And last Sunday, we even had the prodigal son as the gospel reading, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did. We did. That, that great gospel story of, from Luke chapter 15 and that abundant mercy that flows from God our Father in heaven who loves us. But then we, we are to extend that to one another, like the, the, the son in receiving that mercy from the Father, but also like the elder son who, who needed to wake up to the fact that, you know, he too is in a, in a state of conversion, and his father doesn't love him any less, even though he didn't get the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is, a, there is still a, a need for attentiveness to that, um, you know, loving, loving one's father and that reverence and that respect. Yes. Um, so, yeah. And it's a beautiful gospel. That was one of Father Roson's favorite gospels, our founder. He, 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 had, he loved Luke chapter 15. Yes, and, you know, we go to our Father for mercy, like he goes to his Father for mercy. And that brings us to talking about confession. So why is confession important? There's a lot of people who don't understand the importance of confession and why it's important to go to a priest to talk, to confess your sins. But why is it important all year round, but also during Lent? Yes. Well, the, the sacrament of confession, it is one of the seven sacraments instituted by Christ, and it, it gives the grace that it signifies it's that, that outward sign that, uh, of that inward reality instituted by Christ to give the, the, the grace it signifies. So with the, with the sacrament of confession, what's going on? You, the, the penitent, the person going to confession, confesses their sins, and hopefully in so doing, they, they are manifesting a true sorrow, and they have the firm purpose of amendment. They're going to do the best they can to not sin again. And in, in that exchange with, with the priest, yes, but he's the, an instrument, he's an instrumental cause in that sacrament, because the source and the origin of that, that forgiveness that comes about in the sacrament of confession is Christ himself. But the priest is the, he's the intermediary, the instrumental cause, and he has that authority of service to give that absolution to say, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when a person has, has examined their conscience, and in doing that, they need to reflect on where it is that they may have uh, broken the Ten Commandments or have not lived up to the Beatitudes, wherever they may have sinned in word, omission, thought, action, or deed, uh, or desire, you know, in, in, in all of that, and they see, okay, here is, here is clearly where I have... I have fallen short, I have sinned, 
I have, and in so, and in sinning, we hurt our relationship with God, with those around us, because there's no such thing as a solitary sin. Even the creepy little sins that we think nobody sees, in some way, shape, or form, affect those around us. Um, and then, obviously, we hurt ourselves through our sin. And so the, the sacrament of confession heals that where there's a, a threefold wound with God, neighbor, and we hurt ourselves. Confession, by going into confession, ultimately we're telling God we're sorry for our sins. And we're also saying our sins to another member of the human race. And so you could say in a certain sense the wound with humanity is, is healed. Again, the priest is the instrumental cause of that, that sacrament coming about, but he's, he's the instrument, and he represents that the church. And then thirdly, you have to hear yourself say it. You know, you have to, you have to lay claim to what it is you're guilty of. And, and you know, people, they, they really struggle with that. They're ashamed. Oh, gosh. And that's, that's good. That's, I mean, there's shame, and you feel guilty for what you've done. That means your conscience is still active. And, and you want to be sorry for where you have broken God's law. But you need to just abandon yourself to, and, and trust. You know, Father, he, Father doesn't recognize my voice anyway. Even if he does, he's not going to remember my sin. I think most priests have holy amnesia. After they leave the confessional, you know, they forget. You know, it's, it's, um, they, they don't want to, to hang on to someone's sins. That's, that, that person has confessed those things before God. And the priests I know take that very seriously, and they don't violate the seal of confession. They don't sit around a table and talk about, you know, sins, because it's, because it's sin, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that, that doesn't build up. That sin breaks us down. It damages the image that, uh, that God has for us and the plan that God has for us. And that's a huge so, weight to carry around, too. I mean, who wants to carry around everyone's sins on their back? Jesus did it already. Right. <laughs> you know? So we don't need to do that. And, and thanks be to God for his mercy. Uh, and, and so to, to get back, though, to your question about why do, I, why do I need to go to another human being, because we, people do forget that a priest has been ordained to serve people in, in precisely that way. And what the Church teaches about herself, and what we believed, I mean, it's in, in the, at the end of uh, St. John's Gospel, on the, on the seashore, Jesus said to the apostles, you whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, you whose sins you retain are retained them. And in that scripture quote, we see him giving the apostles the authority to, to forgive sins or to, to bind and to loose from sin. And the apostles then, and their successors, who we believe today are the bishops from down through the generations, have the, the grace and the authority to pass on that forgiveness through the, through the sacrament of confession and through a, a real change that happens to a bishop on his ordination day and then to a priest when a bishop ordains a man a priest. Um, you know, and it's interesting, there's, there's none of this, none of this happens in a vacuum. No one saves themselves. No, and so people who think, well, I can just go straight to God, I can go out under a tree, and I'll just tell my sins straight to God, I don't need another human being. And when people tell me that, I'm like, I hope you do go out under your tree, I hope you pray every day under your oak tree in your backyard. But your oak tree 
is not going to give you words of encouragement. If you confess your sins to your oak tree, all that's going to happen is maybe an acorn will fall on your head. But it's certainly not going to say, and I absolve you from your sin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because a tree is a tree. It doesn't talk. But you need, we, we need one another, and we need the church, and we need what Christ has given to us through the church in the sacraments to really have this rich life of grace and to have this opportunity for forgiveness. And again, it's a, there's a, a human encounter in the sacrament of confession, just like all the other sacraments. There's, there's a human encounter and where there's, um, you know, like, like starting with baptism. None of us baptize ourselves. We didn't become members of the family of God on our own. It was through the mediation of another human being. And so that's what's the sacrament of confession. That's why there is that, that element of the, uh, the human exchange, the human encounter between priest and penitent in the sacrament. Yes, thank you so much for that, because there are so many people, I think, who need to hear this. And, you know, me hearing this makes me just want to get up and go to confession. Yeah, and that's a bummer because, you know, I would totally go to the Fathers of Mercy for confession if I didn't live in Texas. <laughs> uh, so what about people who uh, are just really hesitant to go to confession and afraid to make that jump? Because some people haven't been in just a lot of years, like just so many years. I mean, right. they, a lot of people, there are a lot of people who haven't even been since their first confession. Mm-hmm. Well, to those souls, I would say it's, it's like learning to ride a bicycle. You know, once you, once you just think about it a little bit, you know, and you get back on the bike and you, you're a little wobbly while you, uh, you just, it takes getting up some confidence to go, to go do it. And it, it, it becomes something that's very simple. Once once we, though, come to our senses like the younger son in that prodigal son story, and I encourage your list, your listeners to go read uh, Luke chapter 15, all of Luke chapter 15, but especially 11 through 32, because the story is, is tremendous with that, that message of, of forgiveness and the abundant love that God has for us. His love is unconditional. His mercy, we've got to ask for it. And the, the father, even though the son hurt him and the, the younger son hurt him and, and disrespected the older brother in the household, the father let the younger son go and he left, he left him make his mistakes because he has free will, just like all of us have free will. So God doesn't kick down the door of our hearts and make us come back to confession and make us confess our sins because we, we have the gift of human freedom and we have to want that mercy. 
Again, God's there. And, and so when the, when the younger son, was, when the, the father saw him from a distance and ran out and embraced him and kissed him, I, he, he desired that reunion. And the fruit from that reunion, the, and the younger son said, Father, I'm sorry. And there was the joy in that reunion. And I think that's what people, hopefully they'll come to see that the fruit of going to confession, one of the fruits, I mean, firstly, their sins are forgiven, so long as they haven't held anything back and they've confessed everything that they can remember in kind and number, whether it's a mortal sin, venial sin, and then to the best of their memory, because you can't remember everything if it's been a long time, and God knows what it is, so long as a person doesn't hold anything back. They can make that, that good confession. But the joy, see, and that's what people don't realize. All they see is some silly skit from some, um, you know, a, a, a parody or, or people making fun of the sacrament. Or they hear, all they remember, they hear stories about how mean the priest was when I was seven years old in the confessional. You know, and th- those are unfortunate events. And I'm sorry that that ever happened to anyone. But if that did happen to someone, I just encourage them, you know, that was a long time ago. Maybe Father was having a bad day. And, you know, and priests are not perfect. But don't let that one bad instance taint the, the good that can come about from making a good sacramental confession and that, that joy and that, that knowledge that when I leave the confessional and I've, I've not held anything back, God doesn't hold back either. And he showers me with his mercy, his love, and he casts my sins into the ocean of his mercy. And it is a far greater gift than I deserve and far more than I could ever ask for for myself. And when that, and the devil doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. He will throw up roadblocks to keep, to prevent people from going to confession. But if they know that A, their sins are forgiven, and B, there is great joy in that repentance, in the repentance of that one sinner than a 99 righteous who did not need to repent. Um, there's greater joy in heaven over that. You, you, we, we delight God when we, when we go and, and seek that mercy. Okay, thank you. Well, are there some spiritual exercises, just going back to the uh, year of mercy, and that's why I talked about confession, because confession is the ultimate sign of God's mercy too. Mm-hmm. And so how can we, what is your advice as to how we can live the year of mercy out throughout the rest of the Lenten season and on into the Easter season? Just some spiritual exercises mm-hmm. or just whatever you recommend. Mm-hmm. Well, we obviously we've talked about the sacrament of confession so that if you haven't made a good confession in a while, I would encourage people get a hold of a good examination of conscience, and and the Fathers of Mercy too have a we have a, a very good examination of conscience that we we give out lots of them at all of our parish missions, and so know that what it is you may where you have offended God, and confess that. Don't hold anything back. Um, another another area. Uh, with regards to, you know, making the most of the year of mercy is to go out of your way and as you're examining your conscience, think about, have I, have I harmed someone and I've never told them I'm sorry? Or has, has someone harmed me and done me wrong 
And have I ever really forgiven them? And I would say, you know, this is, I think there's a lot of people who have been hurt and they, they, they think, well, because I don't feel like forgiving them, then I can't really let go of it until I, until I feel like it. Don't be dependent on your feelings. Don't use your feelings as a barometer for whether or not you forgive someone who has hurt you. If someone has hurt you, they may or may not come and ask for forgiveness, but at least for your peace of mind and for your clear conscience, uh, you, you say, God, I want to forgive this person. And so maybe something a person could try is, is write a letter. You're not going to send the letter, but write a letter and say, Dear Joe, uh, back in 1987, you did this to me, and it hurt, and I'm still bitter about it, but I'm tired of the, the resentment and the anger. And every time I see you, I, you know, I, I, I get angry, and I'm tired of this. I forgive you. Signed, Tony, you know, and you fold it up and you put it in your journal. And then when you see the person and the, the temptation to go back to the bitterness, the feelings, the resentment, you're like, no, no, on February the, or March the 10th, 2016, I let that go. Jesus, it's interesting, nowhere in the gospel does it say Jesus said forgive and forget. Jesus said love your enemies. <laughs> and, and so I, I don't even think, you know, you think about even after the resurrection, that Jesus still bore the wounds of the crucifixion in his hands, feet, and side. And so even Jesus didn't, I mean, of course he forgave, but he didn't forget. And nor did the apostles forget what he had done. St. Thomas went up and put his hands in, in Jesus' side, and it was, Jesus did that for Thomas and for all of us. So no one forgot, but, but the forgiveness was abundant. And so we, love, mercy, forgiveness is a decision. And so we choose to forgive. And so for people who are hanging on to stuff during this year of mercy, to really ask God for the grace, I want to move on from this. And you've got to put that love in action. And it's, you've got to get out of your head and you, got, you can't stew over it. Uh, and that's why I think, too, the, the Holy Father has emphasized and re-emphasized the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. And if you can run through the list of, of the 14 different works, you may not be able to do 14 different things with the spiritual and corporal works of mercy. But one of them I know that everyone can do that's very simple, I mean, even someone who might be confined to their homes, you know, to, to pray for the dead. <laughs> you know, it's just something as simple as, as praying for those who have gone before us, our brothers and sisters, not just Catholics, but for all the dead. So that's, that's one of the, the, the spiritual works of mercy. And to desire heaven for them and to tell, ask God, please welcome those, soul, those souls in purgatory into heaven. You're, you're asking for God's love in action to be put into play you know, for in a very specific way, you know, by, by exercising those works of mercy. But we've got to get out of our heads sometimes. Our society, culturally, we spend so much time on electronic devices and these portable devices that we're not in reality. But we've got to get back to the, the world around us because God himself took on flesh and dwelt among us and lived as a carpenter. And, and even smashed his thumb with a hammer, you know, a different, no doubt, probably, you know. And so he, he knew what it was to, to bleed and to sweat and to, to suffer and to love and to laugh. And we've got to get back to some of those 
the reality we live in rather than the alternate reality of electronics or in our head. So those would be some things that I would try during this, this year of mercy, but really in that examination of conscience. Yes, that's... Who do I need to forgive? That's excellent advice because I think all of us probably uh, have someone that has hurt us in the past and it's hard it's hard to forgive it's not easy you know and I don't think God expects it to be easy but it's something that we have to work through and ask for God's grace to get through and like you said you know I never thought about actually writing a letter to someone and privately and keeping it in my yeah. journal as a reminder yeah. of how I need to forgive that person Right. And that's something just, that's your, that's, it's kind of a sacramental. It's not something that's going to be blessed. That, not like, not in the sense of like your scapular or a crucifix or a rosary. But it's a little start point. You can, it's something tangible. You say, no, here it is. This is my little contract with God and, and myself. That this is where it began. I, you know, it may work for some people. It may not work for others. Yeah. But you know, it would be something you'd want to keep very private. Right. Uh, that's not for anyone, you know, just, uh, but, but it would be something that, that uh, you can point to it and say, just like Jesus' wounds. Uh-huh. What, what was the fruit of the, of the crucifixion? Resurrection, new life. And mm-hmm. that's what God wants for us, especially as we look forward to Easter. He wants that new life for us, but we have to be willing to put aside the old wounds and say, yes, it hurt. It was awful. It was unjust. And, and it, it hurt deeply, but I love through the pain, just like Jesus did. And that's, that's, that's a high calling. Right. So, with all this said, how, how do you think the year of mercy is an opportunity for us to grow in holiness, especially during this special time of year for the church? Well, one of the the benefits and the blessings with any holy year or extraordinary jubilee year is the fact that there's there are indulgences that are associated with the holy year. And now I know I just said the word indulgences, and some listeners might be thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to set the church back 500 years because way back at the time of Martin Luther, there was a sale of indulgences and it was an awful scandal. And now we've got to understand what an indulgence is and what it's calling us to. Um, and and the with the, the the holy year in many I think probably in in every diocese around the world at least in the cathedral and probably in some places around the diocese there are holy doors and uh, the the concept of a holy door has been associated with the holy year since Christians have been doing this you know practicing this in the uh, from the, I think it was the year thirteen. Uh, about 1300, is when Pope Boniface VIII declared the first official holy year. But uh, the notion of having a holy door had to do with, uh, at a time in the Church when, when Christians didn't have, when individual confession wasn't as prominent a practice, you would have more, uh, a little embarrassing, more public confession of sins and public penances that would last for, you know, it was more than just pray one Our Father, one Hail Mary, one Glory Be. It was more like go stand in the courtyard, the in the courtyard of the of the town for you know ten days with your shirt off in the sun, and really 
you know, let people know that you are sorry for your sins and make this reparation. And then when you've made this reparation, then you may pass back into the church through the door. That's a, a very, very fundamental notion of what it was. But the person would pass from outside the body of Christ into the body of Christ, outside the church, into the church, from sin through forgiveness back in full union. Uh, by the way, a, a movie where you might see something like this is uh, the movie Beckett, uh, about uh, St. Thomas Beckett and the, uh, the penance that the, that the king does. In you know, he passes from, he does his public penance, but there's that passage through the door. But the, the holy door that is at St. Peter's, that the different cathedrals, is it's opened and it's for us there to pass through to evoke that concept of forgiveness that, you know, God is a merciful God. Uh, and so for people to make a pilgrimage to one of these sites where there is a holy door and to gain an indulgence, and if, if a person, I'll, I'll give you the, the uh, requirements, if you will, to gain an, an indulgence. But, but fundamentally, I mean, first of all, what an indulgence is, and this is from the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1471, an indulgence is a remission of sin before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. So, you've already been to confession, but there, with regards to the temporal punishment, maybe to simplify it a little bit, I hope this isn't oversimplifying it, but temporal punishment is like the purgatory time that we might have after we die. Hopefully we won't even have any temporal punishment. Hopefully when we die we'll go straight to heaven. But if there's still some of that attachment to sin, though our sins are forgiven, there's still a, a, a brokenness there and a, more of a, an interest in sin, if you will, and we, our, our desires have not yet been adequately purified. There might still be some attachments we need to be purified of. So the purgatory time, that's what purgatory purifies. An indulgence, though can remit even the purgatory time and purifies us of even that. And so I'll continue reading the, um, the definition. Which the faithful Christian who is duly disposed gains under certain prescribed conditions through the action of the church, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ and all the saints. And so the forgiveness is an action of the church, and the church, being the mystical body of Christ, being authorized by Christ to be able to issue these indulgences, being able to issue these guidelines, if you will, to, to gain this indulgence, to be purified. The church has the authority to do this because Jesus has given her the authority to do this. Now again, can the human element of the church, bishops or teachers or priests, can they abuse authority at times? Of course they can. No one, we're saddened by that. But in terms of tapping into the, the treasury of merits won for us by Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, that's what an indulgence taps into, is, you know, Christ died once for all. And so in this holy year, to really open our lives up to the radical possibility, wow, I want this. I want to be completely forgiven of all my sins. And, and if I was to die at the end of the day, I'd go straight to heaven because I received 
a, a full plenary indulgence. Or if I, if I didn't get a plenary indulgence, well, maybe even uh, the, uh, a partial indulgence, at least a part remission of my sins, but to, to go on a pilgrimage, to pass through the holy doors, um, and to, to strive for gaining one of these indulgences, it really requires a person to think about how they're living in big ways, but in little ways. And so going back to your question about the, um, what, what's something we can do this year, in this, in this year of mercy, going on through Easter and through the course of the year, um, I really strive to, to change my life in those little ways to try to gain those indulgences. Uh, because a, a plenary indulgence is that part of the, the, the requirements, all of the requirements to receive one of those is to have an interior, an interior disposition where there is a complete detachment from sin and even venial sins to go to sacramental confession uh, about two and a half weeks before or after passing through the Holy Door to pray an Apostles' Creed and an Our Father and a Hail Mary for the Holy Father and for His intentions. And you have to pass through the Holy Door, obviously, um, to, uh, you know, you have to literally go through the, go through the motion and, and, and ask in, it, in the process. You're really just forming that intention. I desire to grow in this uh, deepened relationship with God because we can never, we're in a constant state of conversion and we're, we're, we're never perfect. Not until heaven are we perfect. So people get discouraged. I've talked to folks who say, Father, how can I possibly gain a plenary indulgence ever in my life? I mean, all I, it seems like all I have to do is open my mouth and I sin. It seems like I have attachments to sin or venial sin. And that's, you know, to, to be in a state of grace and to be detached from all sins. That's one of the requirements. If you're striving for that and you're, you're really examining your conscience on a regular basis and going to confession, let's say a person, um, let's say they don't get a plenary indulgence the first time they go to the holy door and they, they're, but they're, they're really trying. And maybe they make another pilgrimage later in this holy year. And because they've, they've really been attentive to the, the, the little things in life uh, and their attachments to sin, that over time they're becoming holier. You know, they're becoming better, better integrated in, in, and really they're not thinking about it so much. It's just something that they don't want there to be any obstacles in their relationship with God or their neighbor. And so striving to gain that indulgence, I think, is a, a, optimally a, a plenary indulgence. Mm -hmm. But the, um, to, to ask God for those, for those graces to be able to do that, it's gonna, it will cause a person, if they're really striving for that, it, it's going to cause a change in the way that they live and in the way that they, they treat those around them. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing when that, that little, still small voice is at work in people's lives enticing them to grow more in love with God and neighbor. So you have a talk that is available called Making the Most of the Year of Mercy. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that and how they can find that? Yes. Uh, 
Well, actually, you and I talking this afternoon, they've heard little bits and pieces of it. Uh, the three of the, I, I probably spend a little more time in the talk itself talking about the, the origins of, of the notion of a jubilee, actually uh, found in Leviticus chapter 25. So the Old Testament roots of where our Christian jubilee comes from. But then I, I move on and talk about really trying to exercise mercy in one's life. And uh, I spend a little time in the conclusion talking about the divine mercy devotion as well. And so the name of that talk is Making the Most of the Year of Mercy. And I, it's available on CD at uh, the Fathers of Mercy website, uh, www.fathersofmercy.com. But it's called Making the Most of the Year of Mercy. And I go through and, and talk about a lot of what we've talked about this afternoon. It's, although I'm even wordier, <laughs> hopefully say something worthwhile, including some stories uh, from the lives of the saints and just a, a meditation on what mercy is and what it isn't, you know, the, the mistaken notions of mercy. And that's, that's available at uh, fathersofmercy.com. Well, thank you so much, Father, for everything and for giving us all this wonderful information. I hope that it is very beneficial to our listeners. Is there anything you would like to conclude with? I just want to thank you for the chance to talk about this extraordinary Jubilee Year of Mercy, and I'd like to close with a, a blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God remain with you all, now and always, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.